Geopolitics and Empire is joined by returning guest James Kunstler, or Jim, prolific American author, thinker, lecturer, commentator, and podcaster. He has, with great accuracy, been prognosticating the American zeitgeist for decades, in my opinion. Some listeners will be familiar with his work, and those that aren't, you must go to Kunstler.com, subscribe to the KunstlerCast podcast, his newsletter, and get some of his books. Thanks for returning to Geopolitics and the Empire. Uh, Jim, it's been a year since we first spoke. How is life in the Northeast? East as we watch our civilization collapse and descend into tyranny? <laughs> Boy, that's a loaded question. Um, you know, it's not as uh, much of a vivid panoramic uh, 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 fiasco as it would be if you were living in Dallas or Washington, D.C. or L.A. Um, you know, I, I happen to live in a flyover corner of America uh, my little town of 2,500 people is an old factory village with no factories left. Uh, it's very scenic. The, uh, landscape up here is, uh, beautiful. Uh, the population is kind of beaten down, tired, a little bit geriatric. You know, we could use some young people. Um, but, um, Nonetheless, you can see things happening, and they're kind of happening on the margins of of your vision, but they're there. You know, like there's a there's a Chevrolet dealership that I pass every day uh, on on the highway going out of town, and the number of cars on the lot has been dwindling uh, day by day for months, and now there are no cars on the lot at all, and yet the guy's still open. And it really makes you wonder what's going on there. Now, I happen to know a guy who's the, the leading used car uh, uh, dealer in town. And he tells me that guy's still open. The, the GM dealer's still open. He just can't get any inventory because, uh, you know, they're not building the trucks because they can't get the chips. And those are the kinds of things you see. We, we don't have that many. The supermarkets don't have... Uh, that many empty shelves, but there's some, and, uh, you know, there are some surprises every week. Uh, as far as the big picture, you know, uh, politically the, the, the general, uh, uh, direction of tyranny and authoritarianism in this country is just awesome and breathtaking. Um, and, uh, it hasn't affected me that much because I don't work for a company Nobody's asked me to get vaccinated and no one's been pushing me around psychologically, but I'm quite sure that it's happening all over the rest of the country. And it must be just terrible for these people who are going through that, you know, people who are trying to make a living and support their families. And all of a sudden their whole life is pulled out from under them. Uh, and, uh, at the threat of, uh, you know, taking a shot that uh, is liable to have a lot of disagreeable side effects may even kill them. Yeah, I was going to say it was. I mean, that's it's starting to affect a lot of people. Myself now, I can't even go back to my home country of the U.S. because they have uh, these new uh, mandates now, where foreigners cannot enter the U.S. by land, air, or sea without being injected. And not all of my uh, family members here are U.S. Uh, citizens, and so that means. We cannot go now to the U.S. It's 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 impossible. And hmm. even, even here in Mexico, I'm hearing I, I've got some friends that have been. They were the few that uh, decided to retain their bodily sovereignty, and they have been fired from jobs that they've been at for 20 plus years. And so it's 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 slowly starting to to creep in. But 
I had a question kind of before of before getting into the nitty gritty. I was kind of curious. It seems that as events and collapse have uh, accelerated, your analysis has been getting edgier, which is exactly where I think it needs to be. And we all know the term conspiracy is an establishment technique to shut up people telling the actual truth. So as some of your writing has gotten more, I would call it hardcore, which I'm enjoying very much. Uh, and reading your articles, I'm, I'm shocked in how you are so eloquently hitting the nails uh, on the head. And I'm wondering mm. if you've kind of reflected on this change in your writing and, and if you've had people poo-poo you lately for telling the ugly and obvious truth. Well, no, nobody's been twanging on me for, for doing that. Um, and, uh, knock on wood, I haven't been canceled by anybody. Uh, I haven't been deplatformed. Um, uh, I, I think the basic deal here is that there's so much that has happened over the last five years has been a, an affront to the intelligence and the sensibilities of, of, uh, anybody who pays attention to the affairs of their nation that you have to be very, very pissed off. And that's what is at the bottom of uh, the mood that I'm reflecting lately in my, in my political commentary. I'm very pissed off. I'm trying to find a way of expressing it uh, that is uh, 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 sort of elegantly concise and not, and uh, I, even though the name of my blog is somewhat vulgar, clusterfuck nation. Um, I try to uh, avoid, uh, you know, being vulgar in the in the blog. So it seems to be kind of a gentlemanly, uh, uh, kind of politely enraged political blog. But the the core of the issue is how pissed off I am, and how much I think it's important for a lot of other people to be pissed off about what they see happening in their country. Yeah, I, I, that's, I think, the, the biggest point is that not enough people uh, are getting angry and kind of continuing wh where we left off, you know, things are just so bad, I don't even know where to start. And some, sometimes I think perhaps you don't, you know, the economy is collapsing, supply chains disintegrating. Some say we're on the cusp of hyperinflation. We've got total evil and incompetent fools in charge uh, of our governments, and they're moving quickly to eliminate the last of our constitutional liberties, not just in the U.S., here in Mexico and in, in, in in my other home country of Croatia, we see we see in Australia, New Zealand, then there's this biosecurity state and the bankers, you know, the Great Reset and Big Pharma wanting to remove our bodily in, uh, autonomy and inject us with poisons. And we, we continue to hear reports such as the latest from Austria, the home of one Adolf Hitler, where the government <laughs> has declared uh, that the unvaccinated will be locked into their homes and they'll have to ask for permission to leave their homes. So, And even good old Noam Chomsky has joined the party and parroted the same line. Oh, my God. I never liked him. In fact, I was in a radio show with him and, and uh, uh, I was not informed ahead of time that he was going to be on it with me. And he was stepping all over me uh, with what I was trying to say and I had to eventually pick a fight with him and uh, I told him to shut up. I wonder if we can still uh, go back and find that. <laughs> uh, I wish I remember who it was. Some guy in Boston who ran a very popular uh, talk show. But anyway, uh, yeah, what you're describing is really a panoramic uh, fiasco out there. It's just every corner of our life of our lives is being assailed and and assaulted and and insulted. And uh, you know how are we going to put a stop to it? 
Well, yeah, yeah, I was going to say that all of these, you know, economy uh, uh, politics and these eugenicist health measures, they're all part of the same uh, wrecking ball. It's like, um, I mean, almost, uh, I think a lot of my listeners know, my, my view is that a lot of this was planned uh, ahead of time. And then now the uh, explanations uh, vary, you know, as to why some people say the economy is collapsing. And so they're doing a lot of these things to, uh, you know, distract from who's, who's to blame and to bring in this new system. Um, but for me, it's kind of shocking. You're writing about this uh, almost in every article, the, the health measures, right? And yeah. for me, it's like, I can't believe people, I, I can't believe we're witnessing what we're witnessing and that pe people have uh, utterly lost their minds uh, and are accepting uh, of them. And I already yeah. mentioned, like, I, I can't travel. This has never happened before in my life. People are losing their jobs. Um, we said they're, they're talking about locking people in their homes, putting them in quarantine camps. Now, openly, governments are talking about this, denying access to everything from government and financial services to healthcare and buying food. For me, this is literally the Fourth Reich. Uh, it's, you know, if you, we look at history, it's the same pharmaceuticals that financed the Nazi regime, the same tech companies like IBM, which built the paper computer to carry out the Holocaust. Now they're developing the digital COVID passport. And it's the same uh, oligarchic interests like Rockefeller, who supported uh, Hitler, who are now setting public COVID policy. And I'm I'm a bit pessimistic in the sense that I think they might have a lot of success in establishing some of these systems. I mean, how do you feel about what's going on with the the vaccine and vaccine mandates and all of these things and the passports? Well, uh, to kind of repeat myself, everything that you've described is just a spectacular insult to one's intelligence. Um, but you know, it remind. First of all, I got to say, uh, and I've written about this a bit. It reminds me really a lot of the Jacobin phase of the French Revolution. And, uh, you know, lately, young people have not been getting a very good education in history, in world history. But um, the story of the Jacobins is pretty simple. They were the most extreme uh, faction in the French Revolution on the left. And when they... Uh, the French Revolution was really exhausting itself uh, as it went along, just eating its own. And they, and they got uh, control of the government of the National Assembly in 1793 under Robespierre and Saint-Just. And um, they proceeded to turn French culture upside down. They changed the, uh, the length of the week from a seven-day week to a 10-day week. They added another month to the calendar um, they, uh, uh, decided that, uh, Christianity would no longer be allowed and they created a kind of a state religion. And these are all kind of cultural things that really added up to a deep insult to the French people. And so the Jacobin phase of the French revolution ended up only lasting for about 11 months before, uh, they were overturned and its leaders were sent to the guillotine. This was after they had uh, chopped off the heads of 18,000 people during the reign of terror, which was uh, their operation. The Jacobins' operation was the reign of terror. And we've got a similar kind of reign of terror going on today. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to figure who the leaders are. And the uh, the press or the me news media has failed spectacularly in doing its job. Um, my guess is that this movement is not led so much by uh, European-based cliques, uh, such as the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and this uh, 
uh, hypothetical Rockefeller network of international banksters. Uh, th- that that seems to me to be a kind of a long running fairy tale, and I tend to associate it with. Uh, you know, 40 years ago when I was a newspaper reporter, I, I had a deep interest in investigating uh, uh, extreme right-wing groups, and in particular, the John Birch Society, which I wrote about. And a lot of this uh, a lot of this story sort of harks back to the things that they believed at that time. So I tend to discount that. I, I think that what you're seeing is is more of a collective kind of hive uh, um, infection of the, of the, of the collective mind or the hive mind, let's even call it. And, uh, sometimes societies are brought under such tremendous stresses that I think it really disrupts the collective mentality. And so we're seeing something that is as crazy as any medieval witch mania. It's as crazy as the, you know, the Salem witchcraft, uh, uh, craze of the 1690s. Uh, it's as crazy as, you know, any group hysteria that we've, uh, that, that's been recorded in history, but it's ours and we're in the midst of it now. And so the question is, you know, how are we going to battle our way out of it? Um, at the bottom of it, I think is the, the fact that, uh, techno industrial, uh, economies are, losing their mojo and uh, you might even say crashing i did after all write a couple of books about that one was called the long emergency which described exactly what's going on right now and another one was called too much magic which uh, to some extent was about the dangers of uh, the technological uh, surveillance state and things related to it and uh, we're there we're in it now we're in a, a world-class struggle with a layer uh, uh, with an overlayment of, of insanity, uh, along with it. And it's very, very hard to fight. I think one of the very important things, and I've said this all along, it couldn't be more crucial for this gentleman named John Durham, the special prosecutor for the Russiagate nonsense, couldn't be more crucial for him to come in, step in and start, uh, uh, taking some scalps of the high officials who were responsible for that set of, of nefarious actions, because that, that sort of set the tone for what's going on. And the general tone of it is uh, anything goes and nothing matters. There are no consequences and we can get away with anything. And that cycle has got to be broken and it's got to be broken by some people getting persecuted, prosecuted and going to jail or worse. And I, I dearly hope that Mr. Durham is doing that. A lot of people lost faith that he was even out there anymore. And I maintained for more than two years that he would be coming back to haunt the establishment. And that's exactly what is happening now. He's indicted this uh, lawyer from the Perkins Coey uh, firm, which was the law firm of the Democratic Party and the law firm of uh, Hillary Clinton. And this indictment against Mr. Sussman the lawyer, uh, contains the seeds of what I think will eventually be a comprehensive conspiracy rap against a whole bunch of people who are going to go down. So uh, it's very important that that thing proceeds. Um, and, uh, meanwhile, you know, we got a lot of other battles to fight, including the battle against forced, forced vaccinations. 
Yeah, I was feeling the same way um, uh, regarding what you're saying. And I, I've been kind of, although depressed, it feels like it's been months. It's been, it's almost two years <laughs> that we're in this pandemic. And it's, it's like they have a blank check. They're getting away with everything. There's no consequences, no repercussions, no accountability. Uh, you've been, yeah. you've been writing on uh, Joe Biden and him repeatedly begging the question, what am I doing? You know, our emperors have no clothes. And they're, yeah. at the same time, they're laughing at us. And in, in yeah. one article, you count the ways America is committing suicide by uh, the Democratic Party policy. And, and I'm just wondering, again, you, you were talking about this, uh, the Jacobin and the French Revolution that lasted like less than a year, right? And then we had yeah. the, um, the, the monarchy come back with Napoleon. But here it's like, w will the Democratic Party completely ev eviscerate the Constitution, solidify their power, and establish essentially a, a one-party state, as, as we've seen in history with previous totalitarian regimes, from the Bolsheviks in Russia to the National Socialists in, in Germany? I mean, do you think this is going to be another case of, like, the French Revolution, where it's it's just a couple of months, and then it's all going to crash, or it could last? Well, it's gone on for a couple of years. It, this, is, this is no longer, a, you know, uh, uh, an 11-month affair. Uh, you know, I, I, I count it from going, from beginning before Mr. Trump even came on the scene uh, with the creation of the, uh, you know, national security uh, apparatus. But um, I think we're entering a very dark phase of this struggle. Uh, and uh, it's coinciding, of course, with the, the darkness of the northern hemisphere falling into, into autumn and winter. And uh, there are a number of material crises associated with it, like the lack of uh, natural gas for heating in Europe and problems with the petroleum supply uh, in many corners of the world. And uh, so these are very material uh, worries that people have. And, uh, you know, also faced with the wreckage of the economy, the uh, uh, loss of uh, uh, goods and 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 uh, the destruction of the of currencies. So those are things that are, are going to directly affect people's moods much more than you know any particular uh, uh, bullshit about uh, critical race theory or other you know metaphysical phantasms. Uh, and uh, I think that this period that we're entering is going to hurt a lot of people and. Uh, if the the natural um, hardships that we associate with the the crashing of an industrial economy do not hurt people enough, they're certainly going to resent the artificial hardships that are that they're being put under by authoritarian, tyrannical people in charge of policy. And I think they're going to rise up against these people. And I think that uh, you know we're going to see the end of this. Uh, it may be, uh, it may actually be a, a very uh, ugly struggle, but I think that uh, we're, I think we're we're going into it, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna start mopping up mopping up the floor with some of these people. I sure hope so. Your last uh, podcast uh, interview was with Doug Casey, who I'm a big fan of. I, I listened to him a lot, and, and you previously interviewed Dmitry, Dmitry yeah. Orlov, who uh, I've also had on many times. And with Casey, you were—you just mentioned currency, so I'm just uh, on your thought. Uh, I'm starting to get this idea that we see, uh, we may see hyperinflation, which may then yeah. provide a good excuse to move us toward 
this sort of technocratic digital economy with central bank digital currencies, perhaps mixed with cryptocurrency, we're, start, we're starting to see this normalization of, of, of Bitcoin. You know, Twitter is starting to use it. Actually, Jack Dorsey just this week said we're going to see, he tweeted, we're going to see hyperinflation in the U.S. and, and the world. And when we start hearing people like that talk about it, I think it's time to take it more seriously. And so, you know, what are your thoughts on the, the currency issue, uh, the financial system, this shift they're trying to shift us to this digital economy. Do you think it's going to succeed or, or collapse on itself? No, I think that the, we see a lot of currents in that whole scene that are at odds with each other in different ways and, and for different reasons. Uh, I do believe that there's a tremendous threat to the dollar, uh, uh, both it's just it's, it's simple legitimacy as the, you know, the go-to currency of the world but also just in, in terms of sheer uh, monetary uh, banking shenanigans that are uh, manipulating it. So I think that it's in a lot of trouble, dollars in a lot of trouble, but I don't see Bitcoin as being able to really serve the purpose of money. And the main reason I, I feel that way is, uh, especially now that we're facing these various uh, energy crunches, is that you know when when the power goes out and the internet goes down with it, people aren't going to be able to access their Bitcoin, and uh, if that happens more than a couple of times in a few civilized countries, you know I think that we're going to see people having an aversion to digital currencies, um, and there are plenty of other reasons for Americans to be uh, averse to to uh, digital uh, money. Uh, for one thing. There are an awful lot of people who have to make a living in this country who are, as they say, unbanked. They don't have any relationship with a banking institution. They operate in a cash economy of one kind or another. And I don't think that they're going to be able to uh, uh, operate in, in that sort of captive digital um, uh, money environment. And I think that they're going to uh, revolt against it. And uh, that's just going to be another thing that's going to piss off a lot of people. You know, they're just they're finding too many ways to piss off too many people for their own safety. And uh, uh, so that's how I feel about the money thing. And, you know, I'm personally uh, as somebody who, you know, does operate through banks and and checking accounts and normal procedures, um, I would be very averse to being. Uh, corralled into some digital corral where where the authorities could track all of my uh, banking transactions. That would be terrible. That would be a tremendous assault on our freedom. And there are a lot of people in America who understand what that means and are not going to tolerate it. It's interesting. Also, I think this week Rand Paul just Senator Rand Paul just said he, he was thinking that Bitcoin might uh, supplant uh, the U.S. dollar as a sort of world reserve currency. But I'm kind of with you on the sense I'm I'm skeptical about uh, Bitcoin, and and I think it's just kind of like the segue to segue us to try to segue us into this central bank digital currency system. And in, in general, regarding the economy, you know, we're, we're on the cusp of, I, again, I think you've talked about this in your books for decades. Uh, we're on the cusp of witnessing things uh, we thought we never would see, empty shelves, 
um, not being able to purchase products we normally purchase, and perhaps they'll disappear completely uh, in an economy where jobs are scarce as businesses go under, uh, or where they require insane health or diversity mandates. And so what what do you think? You think this, because there's two visions kind of, of, of the future after this crash that it's going to be this techno utopian system or it's just going to be kind of like mad max light where we kind of go back to this decentralized analog sort of system what are your thoughts going forward well uh clearly my my thoughts are kind of in the latter camp because uh you know i made them very clear in a four novel series that i wrote uh between 2008 and 2018 uh, called the World Made by Hand series of novels. And they were set in a small town in, in the United States after the collapse of the economy and, and indeed of the, the central government and everything with it. And people were living in a much in a much changed uh, uh, world of a, of a lower standard of living without electricity, uh, without complex uh, corporate e- uh, eco- economic relations. And uh, everything had become very local and uh, uh, daily life had begun to reorganize itself around agriculture and the things that uh, enabled it to happen in, in, in the local level. And that's where I think we're heading with this ultimately. Um, really, uh, it just kind of depends how harsh that journey is going to be. And whether we we are actually going to start some kind of a hot civil war in the process, or uh, you know potentially a, uh, a hot war with uh, foreign nations, um, or both, and uh, uh, you know that's where all of this insanity comes in because it's making us appear to be so crazy to other countries in the world that um, they might uh, uh, they might get the attitude that we're not trustworthy with nuclear weapons, you know, and uh, they may seek to uh, disable us in one way or another. There's some question about whether that's already happened. I mean, there's a whole faction of observers out there who take the position that we are already in the the third or fourth world war, depending on, you know, how you want to separate that out. Um, And that we have been in effect at war with China and that the uh, COVID virus was only one part of it. So, yeah, on that last point you, you mentioned about the y- your view of the post collapse, and I, I, I kind of that's kind of the best case scenario where you're kind of left alone in, in the rural, rural area. And but I, I'm kind of seeing seeing perhaps both versions coming true, where l- like the power centers, like the mega cities, will be these kind of techno dystopias, and then outside of it, you'll be kind of like uh, left alone. And so those who want freedom will kind of just go out into the wilderness in rural small towns. And uh, on your point of the the war, that was actually my next question. And you know, I am of the belief that we are gearing up for more war. It is the default setting in in history. And you've commented in your articles that you know, as you said, nations are sensing America signal weakness. I don't think there's any debate about this. And um, it's looking more and more like China will take uh, Taiwan. We're reading more. op-eds from Financial Times and elsewhere saying the moment of truth on Taiwan is is coming uh, closer. And so historically, when systems collapse, our leaders take us to war as a way to absolve responsibility and reset the system. So uh, you're thinking uh, along the same lines then, yeah? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. 
Um, although uh, I, I do think that the Chinese can manage to get control of Taiwan without going into a kinetic struggle over it. And uh, they're probably already kind of doing that one way or another. We'll see how that works out. Um, you know, there's a more extreme view, which is not mine, really, but the more extreme view is that the Chinese would like to get control of uh, the North North American breadbasket just so they can, can they can feed their own people. I don't really subscribe to that view, but, you know, it's one it's one kind of dramatic scenario out there. Whatever you know, what, whichever one you draw up, I don't think there's any question that we're heading through a period of hardship. And uh, it's going to take a great deal of uh, spiritual fortitude and resourcefulness for Americans to to get through it. Before me asking another question, you know, what other uh, issues uh, or themes are are on your mind? Well, you mentioned one, um, which is the fate of the cities, which is really more a matter not just of the cities per se, but of how we are going to occupy the terrain when the current conditions make the current uh, the, when the current situation is no longer viable especially the energy picture and i think what you're going to see is simply this is that our cities have uh, attained a scale of operation that's not consistent with the energy and resource realities of the years ahead uh, and they're not consistent with the capital resource realities that are coming down on us because there's going to be a lot less capital. You know, one of the features of the current system is the idea that there is a certain amount of wealth out there that is accessible and will continue to be accessible. And I would maintain that a lot of that so-called wealth is a figment of the banking system right now and a figment, uh, you know, a, a product of the shenanigans and games that have been played with with money and banking for a long time. And it's not going to be there. It's going to go up in a vapor, and it won't be there anymore. So there's going to be a lot less capital money uh, to, you know, build back better or do any anything like that. And so I think the action is going to be moving to the small towns in, in America, uh, you know, Europe already has a pretty sturdy armature of small towns and small cities that are viable. Um, it's the the scene is much different in America, where the small cities and small towns have have suffered the most disinvestment and have been the most desolated of all the places. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, some of the big cities are already uh, in very very uh, dire shape, but. I think you're going to see places like New York and Los Angeles and Atlanta uh, not be able to function anymore the way they have, and people will be leaving them. And indeed, it's already happening under COVID. But it, you know, it's happening for somewhat different reasons. But I think that that will only uh, be seen by historians as the beginning of a gigantic demographic movement out of these gigantic cities and into the smaller towns. And the smaller cities and the places that are scaled appropriately for the resource realities of the future. So, yeah, I've got a question on this on, on energy and, and, and cities. There was recently a, a piece in uh, El País, a uh, prominent Spanish newspaper, which it was uh, 
serious articles citing like scientists and experts say i couldn't believe they were proposing they were actually proposing these dystopian megacities putting everyone in megacities and then creating human exclusion zones outside of the megacities and they were saying there will be no private vehicles that your only me means of transport will be um autonomous drones or or these um you know autonomous uh, ai you can stop there you can stop there these are ridiculous fantasies that's all they are. They're absurd fantasies. We're simply not going to have the energy to do any of this. You know, these people cook up these fantasies and they never consider like, where is the electricity going to come to run all of these operations? And the answer is, uh, it'll be very hard to get and it'll be expensive if it exists at all. So you can just forget about that. That, that that's absurd. It's not going to happen. And, and in, in, in another way, you know, it's, it's just sort of an extrapolation of uh, the what what had been uh, uh, an ever greater growth of uh, megacities, but you know things that can't go on stop, and this can't go on anymore, and it's going to stop, and it's already stopping. You know we're seeing it. I mean, in in the cities in North America, you know they're they're beginning to fall apart. New York City is falling apart. Los Angeles is falling apart. San Francisco is full of uh, uh, you know bums and psychotics living on the street. Um, the, the, these cities are, are, are going to contract. Uh, we got to remember that most of them occupy important geographical sites. So something is going to be there, probably a significant human settlement, but they're not going to be what they were before. You know, New York is not going to be the New York of, of, uh, 1985, Los Angeles, uh, ditto. You know, they're going to be much smaller places. Um, they will have some tremendous geographic uh, uh, um, amenities. You know, uh, New, York, New York's harbor is just a superior harbor. So it will be a place of some importance. And the second part kind of my, of my question was on the, on the energy issue. I agree with you as well. I don't think they're selling us a pipe dream, you know, these electric vehicles. And uh, I think that's part of the point. They're selling it to us and they won't be able to deliver. There's not enough electricity. And, um, and I'm here in the second most populous city in, in Mexico. And I am also looking for like farmland uh, outside of the city. And I'm, I'm searching for that with, with a few people. And I know there's other people in all different parts of Mexico doing the same thing and they, they already have their plots and, and communities and my kind of question is they're talking about uh, eliminating um, gas-powered cars by 2030 2035 and so how would i for example if i have a place in the city and i want to get out or, or move between the city and the rural area what happens in 10 or 15 years where or maybe 20 years where they you know levy taxes on, on on gas cars or they stop manufacturing them completely how how will one be able to transport between you know if the uh, city and the rural area it would be a very very different world and that's why you know in my world made by hand depiction of the future uh you know basically you know we're back to mules <laughs> so get some horses then i guess <laughs> yeah uh you know we we don't have enough of them right now but um uh uh, you know, we made the huge mistake in uh, North America, in in North America generally, both Canada and the U.S. I, I don't know about Mexico, but we made the huge mistake of not rebuilding our railroad systems in the last 20 years. You know, just assuming that uh, there would be this seamless transition to electrified automobiles and trucks, 
And that's just that's just a ridiculous fantasy. It's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for many other reasons beside the energy issue. You know, the the whole car, the whole car ownership issue in America is crashing not on the basis of the fuel that you power the engine. It's crashing on the basis of the middle class is being destroyed and there are no longer enough people out there uh, who are qualified to get auto loans. Because that's how people, uh, that's how the system works. Americans are used to buying cars on installment loans. And they've tried every trick they can to extend the loans and make it easier for people to qualify for them. But, you know, it's getting to the point where they just can't, uh, you know, that problem is starting to uh, impinge on the whole business model of the car industry. And now they're faced with this new one of the supply lines for the parts. So the, the auto industry is going down on a, in a manifold way, not just in one way, not just on the fuel issue. And you see how uh, one of the features of this long emergency that I've written about, uh, that you know, I call this whole phase of history the long emergency, is that you tend to get uh, ramifying injuries to the systems that we depend on. So if one system gets injured or, or fails, it incites a failure in another in industry or another system that we rely on. You know, if, if the truckers go down for one reason or another, maybe even a stupid reason like the California um, uh, clean air laws, you know, which is making it impossible to get enough trucks to move the stuff out of the ports of Los Angeles, you know, that's going to ramify in, uh, you know, the, uh, the food sector where the food won't get to the supermarkets and then the people will be in a lot of trouble. So, you know, you see these ramifying collapsing systems and, um, that's, that's a big feature of this, uh, this problem, this quandary we're in. Yeah. You, you wrote about it and that's, that's, uh, we're witnessing it right now. Again, people should go get, uh, your books. I I've read a few of them and, um, especially the one you. that published, I think last year, I left a review there on, on Amazon. You wrote a, piece titled Mark of the Beast, where you offered advice, which actually made me feel <laughs> a lot better. You write, quote, a lot of my friends and loved ones are down in blue at this darkest of dark hours. I have some advice for you. Say, say, okay, to whatever shade the universe is throwing on you. Rise, go with it, run with it, mount it, ride it until you exhaust the beast that has made itself your enemy. Ride it until it goes to ground and whimpers, because that is how it ends, and you get your life back, end quote. And so I think this is the best attitude to have, an attitude that <laughs> kind of mixes dark humor, cynicism, hope, optimism, and action. Uh, you know, myself as a Croat, you know, we're known for having a dark Balkan sense of uh, humor. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing... I'm hearing the same from many others that, you know, we need to be patient and brave and wait out this imminent collapse. The only question is how long we'll be waiting. Uh, and the people who aren't listening to reason are foolishly, you know, injecting themselves and going along with the woke establishment. And we're soon to witness, you know, this social economic, the, the political impacts. And uh, uh, can you tell us more about, you know, kind of this sur survivor mentality and how long do you think this dark winter uh, will last? Uh, again, like, will things culminate, you think, this winter? Or, I mean, is it going to be another slow year of decline? And, and, you know, how do we kind of wait this out? Well, I think that the, uh, let's say, the, the mind-fucking uh, phase of this uh, transition uh, may end by next spring. With that, I think that part will exhaust itself, and that part, that mind-fucking element of the this, you know, 
authoritarian tyranny is probably the one that is the most dispiriting and depressing to people who remain rational. Um, after that, I think we're essentially going to have to cope with a, uh, an ever, uh, lowering standard of living, um, especially in the, you know, the Western world and, and, uh, these, uh, this part of the world that has considered itself the height of civilization for a long time. I think that we're, we are seeing in a way the collapse of a civilization. Um, but that has happened before. And, uh, you know, uh, societies are self-organizing emergent organisms and they respond very, uh, very well to the circumstances that present themselves, including the opportunities. And, uh, one of the opportunities we're going to face after the uh, this you know the end of this mind fucking uh, struggle will be how to, how to reconstruct the actual cultural module of our everyday life so that we're you know we we get to believe in things again like uh, like the law justice honesty uh, uh, being an upright person meaning what you say. You know, all these things that are the eternal virtues of humans, which we've discarded uh, in our rush to uh, uh, to mindfuck each other. So uh, that that's uh, pretty much how I see it happening. And we're going to have to, you know, it's going to take a lot of uh, uh, courage and fortitude for people to get through this. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that suggests that uh, some people aren't going to make it. And it's probably true. And every week I get messages from uh, Canadians, uh, Americans, some uh, folks in, in Britain and, and Europe uh, about escaping from, from Canada uh, because, you know, they're putting in all of these restrictions. Um, they're going to lose their job and the window is, is closing kind of to, to escape, kind of like Jews in, in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. We, there was one prominent uh, figure uh, in alternative media, an older guy who Uh, he just escaped Australia and, and made his way to, to Mexico. And the police had come looking for him uh, some days after. And his only crime was, you know, speaking his mind on his YouTube channel. And so what are your thoughts on the third world? You think, uh, I have a feeling that it'll be a good place kind of to ride things out. Um, you may be right about that because, uh, you know, there are a lot of countries, especially in Central and South America, that... Uh, have been depressed for decades so they've already been in a way been through one phase of the long emergency and it may be true I, i think as a general principle and i wrote this in the long emergency book as a general principle i think that central governments are actually going to lose their power over us that they will become increasingly impotent and ineffectual and unable to even enforce their insane laws uh, and insane diktats And uh, we're seeing that right now in, you know, a, this lawless uh, vaccine mandate that is pissing off half of the people in the United States. And, uh, you know, they're not going to go along with it. They're going to just be too many millions of people in, in the USA who are not going to go along with it. Um, unlike the, the people in Australia, Americans did not give up their firearms. And that's something that probably the, the people in the government are aware of and, uh, You know, and it makes them a little bit more cautious about what they do. Uh, I, I think that uh, the opposition to the establishment now is wants to be extremely careful about fomenting anything that that feels or sounds or smells like violent 
uh, uh, rebellion. Um, and I think that the, we're going we're gonna to continue to do everything we can to avoid that. How much longer do you think we'll have to suffer wokeism? Um, I think it's already collapsing. I think it, you know, it has destroyed so many people's careers and, and professional lives. And it's obviously a program being run by idiots and people who are out of their minds. And, uh, you know, healthy people have an aversion to that. You know, they shun the insane and more and more, uh, people are going to shun this, uh, this insane, uh, mass hysteria that, uh, you know, popped up, uh, at a certain point in history because of all the distress that, uh, uh, collapse was causing. So I, I, I see that being, uh, you know, the, the, the one most closely associated with the Jacobin model of failure that, you know, it, it was more the cultural things. It was as, or it was as much the cultural affronts of the Jacobins that, uh, drove them to destroy themselves as it was the, the terror itself that they unleashed on the population. Both of them were bad. But the mind fuckery was really adding insult to injury. All right. I've, I've pretty much run uh, out of questions. One of my last questions you, you've already mentioned about this small town uh, revival. You wrote a piece uh, as well a few months ago. I'll include the link in the description about uh, small towns. And, and yeah. I, I, in, in my, as I call it, my own signals intelligence, uh, I'm picking up increased chatter uh, again across the spectrum of more and more people talking precisely about this, that this is perhaps the best only way to make it through these tough times to form local networks, communities, parallels, structures and economies homesteading basically so do you have any final thoughts to leave us with well there's going to be a lot of that i think a lot of people will be looking to uh, uh you know resettle in parts of the country that have viable agriculture and will allow them to play some role in an economy around that you know um there there are going to be tremendous opportunities in business for young people you know once the gigantic uh, Walmarts and Amazons crash. Uh, let's remember that in, in evolution, organisms off, often reach their most colossal stage of growth just before they collapse. And that's what I think we're seeing with the organization of commerce in, in the world. Well, mostly in, in the USA because you know there isn't so much of it in Europe. Uh, and I haven't really been around Asia, so I don't know. But um, you know, these large uh, commercial organisms are going to fail. And then there will be tremendous opportunities for young people to build back local and regional networks of economic interdependency. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that happen, begin to happen. I just read that Walgreens is piloting drones to deliver toothpaste to customers. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's kind of that. I put that in the last gasp folder. And I'm, I'm seeing here in Mexico as well, there are these new startups that um, they're, they're like online supermarkets where you can purchase, you know, fruits, vegetables and, and meat and they deliver it to your home. And, and I've tried it out, but it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be picking up as, as much as one would think. And it's still not that much more convenient than just going to the supermarket and, and browsing physically. So. And besides, people like to actually run their hands over the merchandise. Yeah, it's just a fact, you know, it's just a fact. So, but you know, the, the, um, what we're liable to see also, you know, if we enter a real, 
uh, extreme form of economic collapse, which would include, you know, including perhaps a currency collapse, is you know we'll see uh, local, you know, local markets springing up in the in the streets and in the, you know, in the main streets and and in the parking lots and, you know, uh, it's going to be a much different economy for a while and you know it'll be it'll be a different economy when it's all over too but uh i think these changes are really going to be a manifest very shortly all right the website website is consular.com is there any other uh website or new project for us to know about no all my stuff is on uh k-u-n-s-t-l-e-r.com uh, my blog comes out every Monday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, U.S., and uh, every Friday morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I do that twice a week. I put out a blog about once every three weeks or so. Not a blog, a podcast, excuse me. I put out a podcast about every three weeks. And, uh, you know, whenever I have a new book out, I put that up. I'm writing another book now, but I'm pretty much in the middle of it, so it'll be a while. I don't know if there will be a publishing industry, industry per se, when I'm finished with it, but uh, that's a whole other matter. All right. I mean it when I say it. Everyone, you know, uh, subscribe um, to the newsletter, to the ConstellarCast podcast, and get some of the books. They're, they're great. Uh, and again, be well, Jim, Jim, and I look forward to chatting again. Well, thanks. And by the way, you don't have to sub subscribe to my blog. It's free. You can make contributions to Patreon, but uh, I don't prevent, there's no paywall. Nobody's prevented from reading it. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.